Whether you're taking a rip down the lease road in your jacked-up truck or flying first class to Houston, Texas, it's time to sit back and relax for another exciting episode of Oil & Gas Onshore. This episode is brought to you by Tendeka, a global specialist in advanced completions and production solutions for the oil and gas industry. And now, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host, Justin Gauthier. All right, here we are. Welcome to this week's episode. We're here at the new and improved Canon with my man, David Gibson, owner at Gibson Reports and the man behind the camera. Everybody knows the V-Door locksmith. How you doing today? Now nah, I'm doing great. Good. Good to be on the show. Nice. Well, thanks for ripping down from Austin on a Friday afternoon at 3.30. I mean, I actually ended up cutting the old hockey game short today to come here and do this with you. It's uh, I knew that I, I really valued your time, so I wanted to make sure that I wasn't late. And here we are on a Friday where everyone's out drinking and doing whatever they want to do after a long week in the oil field. And we're here grinding it out behind the mic. So, man, I appreciate you coming down. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I, I feel... Uh, I feel silly. Like I'm the one person driving into Houston on a Friday afternoon, like, (laughs) like knowing that I'm gonna have to deal with like I-10 going West, like as soon as we get done. So man, I, but but, but being here, but being here was important for me. It's like, (laughs) good. (laughs) I've had a long career or semi long career. I mean, other people had much longer careers and nobody's ever asked to like, I've only been asked to be on podcasts a couple of times. So it's like, if somebody asks, I'm like, yes, yeah. like, you name the time and date, I'll make sure I'll be there. Nice. Know? Well, it's an honor, man. I know we bounced back and forth some emails and we finally made it happen. And yeah, so basically how I you know reached out to you is, you know, obviously, you know, you're very active on LinkedIn. You're posting some great content and then you started doing the video stuff. And, and, you know, I always like connecting with like-minded individuals and, and, and especially you have a drilling background. I mean, you were in the MWD and directional world. Yep. I come from the roughneck world. Now I'm in drilling fluids so you know i figured we would be able to identify you know with each other and not only that but we're both active on linkedin you know you're doing the video stuff i'm doing the podcast stuff so i was like i need to get this guy on you know on the show and talk a little bit and and increase my network a little bit and and, you know i'm sure you know bouncing ideas back and forth we just had a lengthy discussion about linkedin which i'd like to touch on some of those high points because a lot of listeners now listening to my show where you know there a lot of them are in college starting their career trying to build their brand and, and it's such a such a powerful platform amongst, you know, a lot of the other ones, but you know, LinkedIn especially just because that's how I found you. But anyway, so good conversation nonetheless. I wish I was telling you, I wish I would have press record right when we sat down because we had about <laughs> a half an hour conversation about some stuff that I'm pretty sure a lot of people would have liked to have heard, especially with someone like yourself who's got the experience on, the, on that platform like you do. But anyway, before we get going, I want to take a quick break. If you'd like to support the show, please subscribe and do me a huge favor and take a few minutes to leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to. Any feedback is welcome and appreciated. Also, if you feel like you have a great story or an idea for a show or simply just have any questions, hit me up on LinkedIn and I'd be sure to respond. The most recent review that I got comes from Pittsburgh Oil and Gas. Not sure who that is, but appreciate you reaching all the way out from Pittsburgh. Actually, I lived in Pittsburgh for about a year. Beautiful place. Go Steelers. I had a blast there at Heinz Field uh, for quite a few games. But anyway, this is a lengthy one, which I really appreciate. It says, I enjoy the conversation between Justin and his guests each week. I feel like I learned something from each show, either to do with oil and gas or how to become a better person. I like hearing what other people do for motivation or what they accredit their success to. Even the banter at the beginning of most shows is entertaining. It really feels like you are getting to know the guest. Justin, if you're ever in Pittsburgh area, I'd really like to meet up and talk shop. Keep up the amazing work. That's got to be one of the coolest reviews I've had. So a huge shout out to Pittsburgh Oil and Gas. Whoever you are, hit me up on LinkedIn. I'd like to get to know you a little bit. And yeah, just to kind of introduce yourself. And, you know, I used to live in Pittsburgh, like I said, but I don't go up there very often. But heck, you know, maybe we, I could get up there and record a show and we could, you know, get together and drink a coffee. 
But either way, appreciate the love. I like how they said like most of the banner at the beginning of the yeah, show. Yeah, is not all of it. Yeah, not all of it. I'm going to tell you right now, if you're listening, yeah, the beginning of this one's not going to be great. So just, just fast forward like the first, like get get through the sponsorship stuff. Listen to the sponsors. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> listen to that. Uh, you know, follow Justin, follow OGGN, and then uh, fast forward about ten or fifteen minutes. And then you know, if I'm still talking, then if it's <laughs> if it's somewhat educational, then then tune in. For you, you everyone's about to learn something. Okay, I can promise you. So, uh, so David, before we get into to the nuts and bolts of it. Tell me a little bit about yourself. You have an interesting background. You said you did a lot of video stuff with your mom. You've always been in sort of the video realm, but you know, before getting into oil and gas, what was life like for David? So I grew up in the Dallas Fort Worth area, right? You know, after high school, you know, went to, went off to college or went off to college. I went like 60 miles down the road. I went to a a school called uh, University of Texas at Arlington, right? It's funny because like our our newspaper is called the Shorthorn. So there's okay. like the Longhorn <laughs> yeah. and in Austin. And then we have like the Shorthorn newspaper or whatever. So I was like, yeah, we definitely know that we're, we're, we're playing second fiddle here. Uh, <laughs> At least they recognized it yeah. instead of pretending uh, like they were yeah. the big dog. <laughs> Just as a quick side note, even though the school is doing financially really well now because when the whole Barnett Shell thing took off because they oh, own yeah. so much land right there in the middle of the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, like they were able to get some some wells drilled like okay. that are mainly on theirs so it was like right after i left school and you know the shell booms like taking off and everything and it's like i remember every time i go back i'm like man there's a new building there i was like wait <laughs> there's a whole new there's a whole new auditorium over here it was like yeah. it was like there's three new like you know dorms and stuff and i was like man everything's changed i was like there's a whole new engineering building i was like yeah i was like we couldn't get the elevator to work in ours the whole time i was there i was like <laughs> I was they like, got a taste of that oil field money yeah, and like, everything started getting better yeah exactly i was like we're all mechanical engineers watching the elevator like move just barely <laughs> And I'm like, can one of us do this for like a senior project, please? No kidding. That would have been perfect, right? Crowdsource for all the the engineers. Yeah. (laughs) So as far as like, you know, how I ended up at that school, you know, early on when I was in high school and I'm still today, like I'm really big into motorsports. I really like, you know, racing, really anytime motorsport racing. And I was a huge F1 fan. I was really big into IndyCar racing. And so there was actually an IndyCar racing team in Rockwell, Texas, where I went to high school at. Okay. And I interned with them through my high school, like a high school program. Oh, nice. And it was one of the few IndyCar teams that had a two two car race team. One of our drivers was Davey Hamilton. The other one's Air Tendare, who ended up winning, like, I think the 2000, I think it was the 2000 rookie of the year right and so it was was just awesome to be be a part of that team and i I loved race cars i knew i wanted to be an engineer so what like backing up how'd you get into race cars like were you always like since day one or like just just growing up i just you know playing with legos and cars were just cool to me and so it was like i wanted to do something with really cool cars and so race cars are the best kind so it was like i want to be you know I wanted to design and build race cars. That was like my thing when I was a kid. Makes sense. Yeah. And so then when I found out about the internship opportunity through school, then it was like, then the next thing was, is like, oh, wait, there's a a company here in town that has like a race team. I was like, I walked in and I was just like, you know, I was like, hey, can I intern with you guys? And like the general manager was there and he was like, yeah, get back there and start sweeping the floor. And I was like, yes, (laughs) yes. I was like, I got it. And I was like, I can go back there and sweep the floor. He was like, yeah. I was like, I was like so excited. I was like, I'm going to do it. (laughs) And so, so I started doing that. And then I remember during that class, you know, like when I actually had to be at school for it, I remember like being on the computer and I was like, I want to do something with race cars, like in college. 
And so like I'm looking through and I just randomly hit a website that is like, you know, it talks about this, this group called Formula SA, which is Formula Society of Automotive Engineers. It's a student designed and built race car program for college, hmm. right? And it's it's essentially like motorsports, division one motorsports or whatever, but for college. It's not like a NCAA regulated thing, which I do believe it should be just because the amount of time some of those students put into it. No kidding. And the sponsorship money and everything else that goes into it, like they're like people like will bleed out of their eyes for that car. Hmm. Right. And I watched it firsthand. I never did that. I, I'll be admitting now. I, I, it never got to that point for me. Okay, okay. But then like I found out it was like UTA was like one of the perennial powerhouses. It was like them and Cornell were like the two top schools for like the past 20 years, you know, going back and forth. And the main professor at UTA had just been awarded like the lifetime achievement award for being the best professor for race car dynamics and race cars and race car engineering and stuff. And I was like, this is it. I was like, no kidding. This school is 60 miles down the road. It's it's like an hour drive from the house. So like I can still come home on the weekends and do my laundry <laughs> and get good food and stuff and then like make it back in time to, you know, to where it's not it's not a terrible commute or anything. I can yeah. live there. I can be far enough away to where I don't have to babysit on the weeknights, but I'm close enough to be able to go home and do laundry, right? Right. And so yeah, I I I went to school there. I joined the program like right away. I remember I met with the professor on a you know, when you go visit the school or whatever. And I was like, what should I do? And he was like, and this was like in the spring. I was like, what should I do? He's like, you should start school this summer. I was like, like in like three weeks, he was like, yes, you should start school as soon as possible and start getting on the program. And I was like, okay. So like my, my last week of high school, I do my college classes in the morning, get done, drive back to high school, go do like my last couple of last two weeks of high school. Jeez. Right. And then I get done and then I had a job already in Arlington. So then I would have to drive back to Arlington, go do work with, and then like I had to do that for like two weeks. I was like, why am I going to high school? I'm already accepted and taking college courses. Like, why am I still doing this? But it was just like, you know, it was one of those things. It was like, I have integrity. I'm going to finish what I started. Like, yeah, got to do this. Right. Right. Or whatever. It's like, my friends were like, Hey, what are you doing? I was like, I'm studying for my, you know, English 1301 test tomorrow. And yeah. Like what? I was like, yeah, I'm already, I'm already taking classes or whatever. Like I'm already living elsewhere. Dude, you were committed, man. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I, I barely finished high school and then it took working rigs for three years to realize I didn't want to be in the middle of nowhere, Alberta to go back to school. And then I had to upgrade for like a year. So I commend you for, you know, doing what you did and taking college classes in high school. Cause yeah, that was, uh, it's hard for me to believe that. <laughs> it's one of those things that look back on it. was like, Oh, that was really cool. But it was like, I should have kept that fire for a lot more time. Cause then, you know, obviously college was, was a struggle. The race team thing didn't really pan out. Like it was once you got into it, it was like, there is no money in this. It was like racing is nothing but a hobby for rich people. Right. Is what I found <laughs> Pretty out. Pretty much. Yeah. It, that's all it is. It was like you, you, you get into it and like, even look at a lot of these exotic cars and stuff that are being designed and built. It's like, it's just rich guys that are like, I want to like the guy Pagani. He used to be like a fashion designer or something. He was like, ah, oh, now I want to do cars. You know, Carol Shelby used to be a chicken farmer. Right. Yeah. Like it's rich guys that get into it. And so if you're not rich and you get into motorsports, the you're gonna have a struggle. No kidding. Right. Coming up. Right. Yeah. And it's kind of like horses. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. It, it's one of those things. And, and it's one of my theories. Like I tell people this all the time. It doesn't matter what your hobby is, you can go broke doing it. Yeah. I don't care if you're knitting quilts. Mm -hmm. or you're doing autocross stuff in a, in a race car or it's horses or it's, you know, 
even volunteering for, for things, you can go broke doing any hobby. You oh, just yeah. have to be able to set limits on it. And so I got into it and I was like, it just didn't fuel the passion the way it did. Yeah. Then I got into engin- mechanical engineering school and did that. And it just like, I was like, man, I was like, this is not really hitting the button where I thought it would be. I still, you know, I get done with school and I remember like, I, at that point in time, I had been working at UPS for six and a half years. Oh, wow. Right. And that's where like, I paid my way through school. Like they, you know, it's a phenomenal company to work for anybody that's listening. If you're in college and you're looking for money to be able to pay for school, go work at UPS. Phenomenal company to work for. And I'd been with them six and a half years. I'd worked my way up from just being like a regular package handler. Yeah. Right. All the way up to, I was a facility engineer, maintenance supervisor. Yeah. I had 12 union mechanics working under me. Wow. And I remember when I first got into that position, I was like 21 at the time. Mm-hmm. And I had one of the union mechanics like that they were introducing me to. They're like, hey, David Gibson is the new maintenance supervisor, here, you know, full-time maintenance supervisor here. You know, I'm working full-time, going to school full-time. And they introduced me to this guy named Jay Graves. And I'll never forget this. Jay looks at me and goes, not another fucking supervisor. <laughs> Spits on the floor, like right in front of me. And I was like, okay, this Here is going to be go. tough. Yeah. And like I later find out, I was like, Jay had been working at that facility 22 years. <laughs> He'd been working at the facility longer than I had been alive. Yeah. And I was now his boss. Nice. And I was like, oh, this is good. It was, it was like, how'd you know, that go? It was like busting open leadership books to look for stuff on that. And I was like, there's nothing written about being younger than the person you know, like being younger to, to supervising somebody who's older or somebody who has more experience, but it was like more experience than you've been alive at yeah. that specific facility. Oh, it was like, man. it was, it was an absolute struggle, but so it was, why one was of, he not, why was he in that role still? You know, you're union guy, you, you know, once somebody's in the union, you're in Yeah, like in, and that shaped a lot of my future as far as learning how to be a supervisor and how to be in management roles. It was mm-hmm. like, okay, when you have to play by a certain set of rules, like you can't like in my business now or in any business that I've been in in the past, that's non-union. It's a completely different set of rules that you have to play by. Interesting. Right. It like, no matter how good an employee is, it's like, you know, somebody hasn't missed a day of work in 10 years, hasn't been absent, hasn't had anything goes on, looks at me and goes, I have to leave work right now because my daughter just got diagnosed with cancer. I'm like, I got to write you up. What? You know, because it's like you either play the role of like, I'm going to be strict and I'm going to be by the book because you've also got a coworker who like is constantly late and this, that, and the other. And like, when it it comes time to go to like before, like the union, I can't remember what it was called, like the union board or whatever, like, you know, and they're like, yeah, but see here, you didn't write up this guy. And obviously he left work early that day. And it was like, you know, his daughter had cancer. It's like, well, then the 35 times that this guy's been late, we're just going to have to let him go. Like, you know, you have to like all is equal. So, you know, late is late, whether mm. it's 35 times to one. So like it was one of those things to where like you had to learn how to be a supervisor like on a whole nother playing field. Right. Like a lot of the normal decisions that somebody would make, like in a managerial capacity, you're like, look, man, I understand. Like, go home, take care of what you need to do. Yeah. Right. We'll follow up later or something like that. Like, you know, and in a normal job, that's just how you handle it. With this, it was like that's outside of your realm as far as a tool to use managerially. Hmm. You have to then be able to like go above that. And then it's like, okay, what other 
tools can I use to be able to work with these guys to be able to get things done and still not like piss them off when I'm like, I got to write you up because regardless, you're leaving work early, no matter what, I have to write you up. Like I can't, I can't afford not to. Right. Wow. So, so what, like, aside from that, like what, what else did you experience while working like around union? Like I've never worked around union or been involved with union, but for the most part, I don't, I hear sort of some most negative feedback around it other than like people that get into it, the union, it's like they're protected to some degree, like, or like, what is, what's your thoughts on that as a whole? That goes down to like a person's, you know, individually, like, what are you looking to be able to achieve in life? Yeah. Right. Like me, myself, like if I were to join it, like a union position like that, right. It says like year one, you make this year two, you make this year three, four, like all the way up to like, however many years, long as that collective bargaining agreement is, is in place. Right. Yeah. But let's just say that, you know, it's an, it's an indefinite thing. And essentially your future is mapped out for you. You have a job, you have security. This is what's going to happen. And if you're cool with that, go for it. Yeah. Right. Like that company's, you know, they made that decision with the, the union or whatever. Like I'm, I'm not going to get into whether union's good, union's bad, but like, it you have to have a certain like mindset to be able to accept the fact that like this is what I'm doing for the better part of my future until something and like like because the roadmap is there and they can show you exactly how much money you're gonna make what the roadmap how how everything operates and you you join that company or that that union so you agreed to that collective bargaining agreement so yeah. it's like you know exactly how you're going to be treated you know what your rights are you know what's 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 not what's good what's bad whatever you're like all right cool hmm. and if you accept that then that's that's on you for me personally like i could never take a job like that yeah right like being an entrepreneur now like even getting job offers now i'm like oh gosh the restrictions and they're like we have unlimited pto and unlimited sick days and i'm like oh, oh the handcuffs i can feel them already coming i'm like oh i don't know about having to answer to somebody else other than my clients you know it's like oh it's so like in being in that job role like and at such a young age it really taught me that there's more ways than one to be able to to bridge that gap. And like I said, so the beginning of the story is, you know, Jay, like essentially spitting at me and go, not another fucking manager. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, cause they're all, all about, you know, hire more union people, more union people, like more of the brotherhood, right. Solidarity. Mm-hmm. By the time I left. Right. And that was like the end of my six and a half years. I remember when I left, he came up and stood me and shook my hand. And he says, you're the best manager I've ever had. Nice. He's like, we as a team are going to miss you. And I wish you nothing but the best in your life. Dude, that's a win. And and it was just like, it was one of those things. It was like, I kind of got to step back and I was like, he he was one of those guys. He never said stuff like that, mm. first of all. Never said stuff like that. So it was like, I was like, keep it together. Don't cry in front of the mechanics. This is your last day at work. <laughs> I was like, keep it together. Just walk out. Just 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 give him one of those bro hugs and go, oh, yeah, I'm going to miss you when I'm living down in Australia. I was like, okay, walk out, walk out. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, oh, God. You know, so like, you know, those guys that I worked with, I mean, you know, they were all great guys. And like I said, it, it taught me a lot about how to be, you know, an effective manager with while wearing handcuffs, you know, yeah. I, I also kind of call it like, you know, I remember one time I was on a date and me and my date, we went to uh, one of those escape rooms. Yeah. And 
you know, they'll pair you up with just like random people I've or something. I've done it, but I want oh, to. Man. You got to do it. It's so much fun. I know. I keep telling myself, my wife and I are going to do it. We haven't yet. Find a good one because there's some cheap ones that are just like, it's an office building or something. It's like just white walls. And they're like, here, just do this and like, whatever. And then there's some that are like theme parks. They're really nice. So anyways, huh. we went to one of these theme parked ones and it was, it was super awesome. But we got paired up with like this Cub Scout group <laughs> yeah and so when like the competitive nature of me like comes out and like my dates are, i'm like i want to i want to beat the clock let's do this and she's like yeah i was like oh this is an awesome date i was like i was like yeah let's go and then they're like the cub scout group comes in and they're like a bunch of like 12 and 13 year olds mm. and one of them's like you know got that like i'm better than everybody else yeah yeah and then like you're just touching everything and like doing this and it's just like I was like, I got done with it. And I was like, I think every manager on the face of the earth should have to go through that <laughs> because it was like, it was like one, you're trying to be like a, a decent person in front of your date. Yeah. But then also at the same time, you're trying to get like 12 and 13 year olds to like, like, it's like the whole herding cats and each one of them's got like a different personality. And, you know, there's like dude, the quiet kid, hilarious. there's the quiet kid in the background. I was like, Hey dude, uh, just, just read that journal thing. See if there's anything interesting in there. And it's like, he's like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. <laughs> and then the other kid comes by and goes, I'll do that. And he gets like half a page in and he's like, whatever. And like throws it on the floor and the other kid goes back to just knowing nothing. I can nothing. totally see that. And man. it's just like, you're like keep the composure yeah. be a good leader They're like you're supposed to be a leader in this situation right and i was yeah. like this was the test you yeah know? <laughs> so i like i that's just one of the little things things for me like personally like oh, i'm always looking so at things funny. it's like how can i be a better leader be a man better manager yeah. stuff like that you know dealing with my kids and stuff i'm like it's time to get dressed and ready to go to school brooklyn and she's like you dress me. I'm like, you're four. You can dress yourself. You did it yesterday. Yeah, but I want you to do it. And I'm like, no. I was like, okay, we're leaving without you. No. And then she falls on the floor crying. I'm like, yeah. ah, okay, that had the opposite effect. I was like, no, okay, we're not leaving right now, but we're in a hurry. Oh, okay. Then I can play with my toys. I'm like, no. Yeah, dude, I have a three and a half year old and I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. It's like to a T, man. Oh, uh, yeah. I, yeah. I've got four year old twins. So like, Ooh buddy the two of them yeah that was like that was legitimately the argument i had with my daughter this morning i was like nice, yeah. i was like let's hurry and she's like no and then falls on the floor and i'm like ah, okay i was like how do i do this how do i do this what do i say what do i say what do i say i was like i was like wear whatever you want i was like you want to wear your pirate pirate costume wear it i was like let's just go to school we, yeah we just need to go <laughs> we just gotta whatever just, just gotta go yeah well, like we're not always in losing with, with kids man it's <laughs> unbelievable it's a, yeah talk about testing your patience and, and being a leader and a manager it's like trying to manage your kids is like the hardest job i've ever had but it, and it's so true like if you just look at it like okay how can i psychologically beat a four-year-old yeah yeah <laughs> Dude, it's so hard. I was like, because I am losing all the time. I'm yeah. just tossing up L's left and right. I was yeah. like, I was like, they're always winning with yeah. me. I was like, I was like, I was like, if this was like, you know, one of my partners or a coworker or or just you know a vendor or something, it was like I would win this hands down. Yeah, I was like, no problem. I can I can negotiate anything. Yeah. The kids, nah. Yeah, it's a whole other set of rules. It is, man. Parenting is, is a whole. We could go on for days about parenting, but yeah, it's been a humbling experience to say the least. So, yeah, your story about this morning. It's yeah, I've, I've got a handful of them too. It's I don't know how my wife stays at home with my kids. She, like she'll text me throughout the day and be like, "Oh, Royce did this," and oh, sends me pictures of like just chaos, and I'm like. Yeah, my job is a lot easier. Like selling dirt in a bag and talking with a microphone, <laughs> I could do that all day, every day. But being at home with my kids for more than like four or five hours at a time makes me want to like 
grab the nine millimeter and just kind of like look at the end of it every once in a while. Like it's like, I can't, I could do it, but it, it I definitely would rather this life. <laughs> so it's only dirt in a bag. That's hilarious. Yeah, it is. It's drilling fluids, man. It's dirt in a bag. So I'll jump back into, so like, that's what I did. I, that's where, what ended up getting me at UTA got into UTA. I was working at UPS while I was at UPS. I remember going to my immediate supervisor or actually my two levels up. And I was like, look, I'm getting, I'm getting done with school here in the next couple of months. I was like, I want to move up. And he was like, yeah, we got a hiring freeze nationwide or whatever. And I was like, or like a promotion freeze nationwide because of gas prices going up. Mm. Right. It was a little, little force, uh, foreshadowing there. <laughs> and I was like, man, I was like, all right. And so then like the next week they send me to one of these like training programs for like the, the whole maintenance department. And I meet a guy he was like, yeah, I work out of the uh, like the North Carolina office, and I was like, oh, okay, cool. What do you do? And he was like, oh, I'm a you know I'm a facility manager, which is like the next level up. And I was like, oh, cool, man. I was like, dude, how old are you? And he was like, he's like, I just turned 24. And I was like, I'm 24. I was like, oh, okay. I was like, how long have you been with UPS? He's like, oh, about a year and a half. I was like, you what? I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, I just got this job last week. I was like, <laughs> so I went back to my boss, and I was like. I was like, dude, you guys are obviously promoting people. I was like, if you guys are going to overlook me with six and a half years with the company, I was like, I'm putting my resume out there. And he was like, you got to do what you got to do. So I was like, all right. So yeah. then, you know, then the story goes, I get, I get a guy calls me from, actually, it's a great story. So I get an email. And at this point in time, I'm responding to every single email, regardless, spam or not. It was like, you know, my, my resume is on career builder. Anything that came in, I responded. Yeah. Then I get one email and I still have it today. It said in the subject lines, how would you like to make more than a hundred thousand dollars a year in less than three years? And I was like, that is definitely spam. Yeah. Never responded to it. Then the guy from the recruitment agency calls me up and he's like, Hey, did you get my email the other day? It said, would you like to make, and I was like, yeah, I got your email. And he was like, it's it's real dude i was like no it's not <laughs> he's like no it's real and i was like no it's not and he's like tell me about yourself and i was like what do you want to know he's like tell me something that's not on your resume and i was like i like to ride my motorcycle and play flag football and he was like you sound perfect for this job and i was like what is this job dude yeah, <laughs> I was no like kidding. if i'm perfect for the job and that's just what i told you <laughs> that's a and, and, and he goes barrier of entry yeah and he was like do you like to play video games and i was like not really i was like man, i will i, I kind of get addicted to them so like i stopped playing them i was like i don't own like a, a console or anything he's like man you are perfect for this job and i'm like what, what is this job right yeah. and so then it was like Hey, we want you to come to this hotel and and you know, so the night before a company where blue coveralls had this like little, you know, this is what we do and this is who we are, and you know, and then we'll be doing interviews tomorrow. So I did the interview the next day, and it turns out like I was the best one that they interviewed out of the entire group of people. Mm -hmm. Then they send me off to Shreveport to go look at a wireline job and a frac job. And, and wait, they, so who which company was it? Did they you wear say? blue coveralls. Oh, okay. I see. I, I, try okay. Not to, I, don't, I don't like yes, to plug yes, their name. Yes, yes. Plus, because I don't want them to I got come you. after me. I got you. Yeah, okay. I, <laughs> I I'm with you. I have an opinion about them. Okay. Blue um, coveralls. Gone. Yeah. <laughs> with a white stripe sometimes. Yeah. Okay. And they're a publicly traded company as of course. well. So if that helps. No worries. Yeah. <laughs> and so then then they send me off to Shreveport to go see some some local jobs. And then they bring us back and they're doing the interview process and they're like all right, you know, of all of the different segments that we're in, what do you want to do? And I was like, drilling, you know, and they're like, what do you at least want to do? I was like, that wireline crap that we saw today, I definitely don't want to do that. I was <laughs> like, that looks 
boring. Uh-huh. And then I think like, so like drilling was first. I can't remember what my, like the rest of the options were. I just remember drilling was first and wireline was last. Yeah. And then they gave us a map and they said, where do you want to go work? And I was like, I had done some research beforehand and I was like, I noticed that there's 17 rigs in Australia. I was like, I want to go there. And they're like, yeah, that's not one of the places you can pick from. Cause it was like a map for like drilling, a map for completions, a map for wireline, each one mm. like, and these are the areas we're hiring for. Yeah. And it was like each one of them was like, okay, Midland, no, Wharton, no. It was like somewhere in Artesia, no. It was like like all of the, you know, garden spots of the US. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I was looking at all these going, I don't want to I was like, I don't want to live in any one of these places. And and so like I you know, it was like you can pick your location. So I just wrote, you know, Australia, Brazil, then Nigeria. <laughs> I was like, I was just like, I just want to go work internationally. I just want to get I was just like, I want to go somewhere else. I want to like yeah. a whole new experience. And so then, you know, a couple of weeks later I got the job offer and it was like Perth, Australia. And I was nice. like, no way. So it was like yeah, they send you this letter. It's like, you know, pack everything into like one suitcase, you pack your whole life into one suitcase and then, you know, get on the plane and go. And so then that's how I got started into oil and gas. I, I knew nothing. Like I didn't even know how to pronounce the big blues name. Yeah. I was butchering it all the way up until like the, before the interview and like the recruiter person that worked there. And it was like, if you get the name wrong, you're automatically not getting hired. <laughs> I was like, okay, so let's pay attention. So yeah, I was still butchering it up to that point. And then, so then, you know, go through the the week of orientation, get to Australia, and they were just like, "All right, here's your computer, here's the the your online educational learning system or whatnot." And they're like, "Get busy, you're already two weeks behind." I was like, <laughs> "I've only been here like a week," and the guy was like, "Yeah, dude, get used to it." That's you're how like, it works. It was like this online learning system. He's like, "You will never catch up," and I was like, <laughs> "By design." I was like, "Oh." F, yeah, you know, and then it's, you know, and then it's what I like to tell people is like, you know, that company does a very, very good job of training people. Absolutely. Does a very good job of training people. And I got my master's quote unquote going through that system. And it was just like, you know, I don't want to call it baptism by fire because I think that's more of more of like U.S. land, like Mm -hmm. how that works, because but this was like educational baptism by fire right it was like (laughs) like you're gonna learn everything that this company has known about mwd and directional drilling for the past 30 years and you're gonna learn it all in three weeks via this online little interactive learning program and it's like you have zero background in any of this and it's like you're gonna pick it up and nobody's i mean nobody's helping me out nobody's like yeah dude there's a difference between mwd and lwd and here's what the difference is oh there's a difference between collar mounted tools and pro base tools or there's a difference between a drilling motor and an rss mm-hmm. like there's a difference between these types of bits and and like drilling fluids and all this other stuff like there was just so much crammed down my throat like mm-hmm. so early on but now i look back on it and i'm like man i'm so glad i went through that yep yeah but that's but that's kind of like what got me, that's what got me to the oil and gas business was, was living there. And it was a great time. You know, mm-hmm. I, they took care of the house. They took care of all my bills except for uh, cell phone and food. And I lived in Perth, Australia. Yeah. So how was that living in Perth? Oh, it was phenomenal. It yeah. was phenomenal. I mean, now granted you're, you're there doing a job and, but granted, you know, through the first year of being a trainee and stuff, wearing a green hard hat and stuff, like you get a lot of time at the base and, you know, working on tools, watching motors getting broken down and stuff, mm-hmm. but you still get the weekends to be able to go and do fun stuff. And of course, you know, it was one of those things I was like, I'm the foreigner now. 
I was like, I can't do crazy stuff because I could get kicked out of this country and then I don't have a job. That's how I feel right now with my green card. (laughs) (laughs) I gotta be careful, man. Yeah. So, so there, there's like, there's so many like life learning things in there. I was like, now I'm the outsider. I'm not the, you know, but it, but it was an easy transition because I wasn't going from a country where I didn't speak the language. Right. Or coming from the U.S. to like, you know, working in Brazil or Mexico. It's like I was at least going to another country where like I spoke the language. So that made the transition a little bit easier. But there was still, you know, a lot of stuff like to get used to cars on the other side of the road and just walking out in the middle of the street. And you're like, oh, crap, they're coming from the other side. Better scurry across oh, the street real quick. That mess me up big time. <laughs> I, I took a motorcycle out one time when I was there because I was like, you know, I really want to go ride my roommate's bike. And he's always said, you know, feel free. And yeah. like I get out there and I'm like just so many of your natural instincts of just being oh, on, the, on the other side of the road. And it's like, yeah, I'm going to take this back before I get myself killed. Yeah. Well, my mom goes to New Zealand every winter to work and she tells me like, obviously down there is the same thing. Yeah. And she's 70 and she's like, oh yeah, I just jumped in the car and started driving. It was no big deal. And she can barely drive on the right side of the road here in <laughs> North America. So I was like, oh my God, like how did, how did you make it back alive? Like she was telling me it was like no big deal. And like when my wife and I ride with her, like we're like white knuckled because she's like either driving you know 30 miles an hour underneath the speed limit or like hugging the shoulder and it's just yeah so i can imagine what it was like for her driving over there but i I can guarantee you every person that's ever done it when they go to do the the whole turn signal thing they're turning on the windshield yeah yeah she said that yeah every time like (laughs) i'd I'd be like train my brain it's on this side it's on this side it's on this side and then i go i'm like all right gonna take a right here and then all of a sudden the windshield wiper i'm like (laughs) It's like a visual <laughs> reminder that you just screwed up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Constantly. It's not. It's not just enough for it not to go off. It's like, wee, 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 wee. yeah. You're like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's funny, man. I mean, it was. It was a. It was a phenomenal time living down there. I've got great friends that I made while living down there. I'm sure tons of great story stuff that we probably shouldn't even say on the podcast. But we'll uh, save that for yeah, offline. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, I, can t- <laughs> I can tell you some some crazy things that we got into while we were, you nice. know, living down. I mean, it was like. We were living in a million dollar house and it was like three guys that are, you know, like 24, 25, you know, one guy from Indonesia who loved like old American country music, like Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton. That was like, those were like the songs he loved. Another Australian guy who just like, he'd get drunk and do the stupidest things on earth, you know? (laughs) And then, and then me and, you know, like I remember Christmas day, 2007, like we went to the beach. Nice. None of us had families. We were just like, let's go to the beach. Yep. Like that's what we did, you know, because it's summertime down there as well. So. Yeah, was it weird going through Christmas in the summertime? Yes, it was extremely, extremely strange because yeah. it's like it's not cold, right? And it, it's like I just left the U.S. It was like December, it's like when I got the job. So it was like I left, you know, and it's like then get there and it's like it's you know, I remember like Christmas Day, two thousand seven. It was forty four degrees Celsius. I can't remember what that conversion converts over to. That's but probably about a. It's over hundred. Was the hottest place on earth on record that day no way it was perth australia it was christmas day oh, so, so anybody who wants to like bust out an almanac go for it that's what the the news reporter said or whatever it was like the hottest place on earth was like that day and i was like i just left texas i yeah. was like give me a nice like 70 degrees please <laughs> no <laughs> I kidding like, I, like, I still find that so hard like being from canada obviously you wake up christmas morning there's snow on the ground the lights are glistening you know most of the time it's snowing it's a winter wonderland because every you know, Christmas story or book that you read or movie that you re- watch, it, it it's a cold, dreary. Like you never see a Christmas movie going on in like 
you know, like South Texas. Like it's always New York or someone's where it's snowy. <laughs> yeah. And so like coming exactly. down here, waking up at like Christmas and it's, you know, in the sixties or seventies, it's to me, it's strange. I'll never be able to get over it. So I can imagine it being a hundred degrees and going to the beach on Christmas. That would be, that would throw me right off. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Crazy. It was, it was, it was a very surreal experience. Yeah. No kidding. What's the biggest takeaway, like working international like that, that you were able to bring back to North America? Cause obviously there's a huge culture difference. So not only is there a big culture difference and a lot of people don't know this, that work lower 48 U S land or even in, you know, North America, as far as like U S and Canada, right. Is that the way that the oil and gas internationally works is completely different and u.s land in canada describe that so the big takeaway that i that i saw when i came back was it was like the number of independents that are involved in the oil and gas service side of the business as well as operators right yeah in in the u.s is just it's an astronomical difference Hmm. it's an astronomical difference and i think it's what a lot of people internationally are trying to replicate Right. So like over like where you were at, there was like just majors and you didn't have as many people to pick from. So at the time that I was there, I think there were like 17 ish rigs and we were on 15 of them. And the other two were the red coveralls. Mm -hmm. Right. And that was it. Right. Like we dominated the market. Yeah. Right. And you look at that and you're just like, whoa, okay. And, you know, obviously the company I was working for, they keep the walls really high. They don't talk about their competition they talk about themselves mm-hmm. right they still do it to this day because i still run into people that work at majors and i'm like no dude there's a whole nother world out there of people <laughs> who make money who compete with the majors and win on a daily basis yeah, yeah right and you know i mean if you look at it like you know if you're doing deep water or ultra deep water offshore projects there's a financial reason, not as far as like the day rate, but like for insurance purposes, there's a good reason to be able to go with the majors. They're publicly traded. They're, yep. you know, they've got, you know, their ability to be able to cover a screw up is much greater. Right. Yeah, so it's a good it's, point. So, so there's that difference between land and offshore right there. And then as far as international versus domestic U S land, you know, in my reports, so Gibson reports, gibsonreports.com, do a little yeah. plug there. What we're able to see in my report is that 15% of all of the footage drilled in the state of Texas, right, that's turned over to the Texas Railroad Commission because that's what they have to do, mm-hmm. only 15% of it's done by the majors. Okay. So the big four. Yeah. Schumberger, Baker Hughes, Halliburton, Weatherford. Mm-hmm. They only make up 14 to 15%, depending on what the what, you know, date is. But right now, it's where it's averaging it, of, of the amount of footage drilled in the state of Texas. Wow. Right. Which is not much. It's not. And so I'll run into people all the time. They're like, oh, no, like those guys do like 90% of the work. And I'm like, no, even people within those organizations will argue with me and say that the numbers are wrong. And I'm like, no, they're not. Hmm. Like I'm taking the numbers that you are required to turn into the government. You know, I combine them all and I, you know, dice it out. And I was like, I can show you, I can show you well by well how you guys only have 15% market share. No kidding. Right. And so, so that, that in itself, when you, when people, when people from international, especially like if you get like a drilling engineer from like Shell or, you know, BP or something, and they come back and they start doing like, you know, they're like, Hey, you got to go do your time and you got to go look over some rigs in West Texas. You know, their first inclination is always like, why isn't Halliburton or Schlumberger or Baker Hughes, why, why are they not the, the directional drilling service company? And it's like, cause they're not the best. 
right? Or, mm-hmm. or they may not be the, the, the best in that area. Right. So you have these independents that are here in the U.S. that are, I mean, just light years different, mm-hmm. right, as far as their approach, overhead, marketing, and stuff like that. It's, it's just, it's what's really, really special and unique about being able to work in U.S. land is right. that, is that there are independents. And now the, and not only is there independent service companies, right, but there's also independent operators. So you get these really, really small operators that will, you know, they'll do a, a, th- a three well package and that's all they do. Right. Whether it's, you know, personal funds, private equity funds, they raise funds, whatever they do, go to the bank, whatever. They go out and they drill a three-wheel package. They don't need massive amounts of, you know, downhole technology to be able to to get work done. Right. And so th- those two things, you know, because like, you know, I don't know how many times like, you know, I'll talk to somebody and they're just like, you know, oh, you know, like, you know, I, I want to go do this somewhere else. And it's like, look, dude, like, <laughs> like you think that the, the market that we have here is the same elsewhere? It's not. You know, right. maybe in Russia they've got some like independent directional companies, right? But really the nowhere else is is there that kind of that that independent directional drilling or independent service companies. Otherwise, outside of the US, it's it's literally it's dominated by the big service companies. And yeah. they, and they're preaching that message. It's like we we are the only ones that can do this. When I went to Nigeria, I had a drilling engineer. I was like, look, dude, this tool will work down hole. He's like, there's no work, no way that that tool will work in the Niger Delta. I said, why not? It's a hole. It's an eight and a half inch hole. It's like, we, this tool's working on hundreds of jobs in the U S right now. There's no way that it'd work here. I was like, why? I was like, it's inside of a collar. I was like, it's, it's not even touching the Niger Delta. It's like, it's inside of a, a metal tube. Yeah. Unless you're flowing plasma down there. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, it's going to work. Mud's mud. You know, I'm saying this to a mud guy, so it's probably not that. that but like, I, I was like, yeah, yeah, I was like, I was like, you know, a liquid's a liquid or whatever. I was like, it's going to work. No, there is no way that that could work here. So what was his argument? He was like, the only tools that work here are majors tools. And I was like. It was one of those point in times where you just you got to know that you're going to lose the lose the argument. Yeah, and you're like, all right, dude. I was like, our day rate is a tenth of theirs. Yeah, and we can do exactly what you need done. So what was, like, was the outcome? And it was like it was like just drilling a vertical hole. That was that's all we were doing. Yeah, you know, I, we didn't get the work. I mean, or like I was down there consulting for people, trying to be able to show them like like trying to help them bring in, you know, American technology. Yeah, into. Nigeria, right? And be able to show them, like, you know, that like independent MWD tools do work, hmm. right? And that, you know, they, they can operate in international capacity. So, Ni- Nigeria was setting up what they called local content to where a locally owned company could or was supposed to be in the final like bidding process mm-hmm. for any work. Hmm. And then, so I got to be a part of that whole bidding process. And that is just, I was like, that is like, oh, I can imagine that's like a six day. month paperwork job Oof. you know I you got to show so much documentation and I, I, you know i look at it and i'm just like i could see how this is important to some degree but also i could see how other people have influenced what needs to be on this piece of paper because there's yeah. some because i've worked at one of those companies and how it says you must have this thing and i'm like they're the only company in the world that has that thing so it's like <laughs> really do we really need that do we really need to be able to do that for a vertical well mm-hmm. like i don't think so yeah that's funny i never even considered that how many years did you work in in the directional world like roughly so i did my two years down in australia 
Yeah. I got laid off in 2009, like during, you know, the economic recession and stuff. I came back to U.S. land. While I was here, I was like, nobody's hiring. Nobody's doing anything. I was like, all right, I'm either going to go back to school or I'm going to go do something fun. So I had zero debt, zero bills, no responsibilities, like zero, like literally zero responsibilities, <laughs> right? And no more freedom. Most, yes, seriously. Most people can't fathom it. I lived it, right? <laughs> no debt, nothing. Even my like my roommate that I had in college, like I went back to that. That's where I was living at. Like the lady who whose the apartment that we rented, she never cashed our rent checks. So we just stopped sending them. No way. Yeah. So we were living what? rent free, literally rent free. And my buddy took care of all the bills because he's like, dude, whatever. He's like, he had a job. He was we're still living in, like he was still living in like our college apartment, right? Yeah. And so when I went back, I was like, man, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I was like, it was literally. I went from like this despair of like, what am I gonna do with my life? Yeah. Oh my god. To like. Oh my God, what am I going to do? It's like overwhelming. Like oh, I could do anything. Oh my God. Oh my God. There's too many ideas. So what I ended up doing is I moved down to Guatemala to learn Spanish for six months. <laughs> okay. I, I was just like, it's what I want to do. So nice. I went down there. I lived down there for, for six months to learn Spanish. I've completely forgotten like 90%. I was going to ask it. you, I was like, yeah, start talking in Spanish. Yo, yo olvide bastante de mi español. So this means I've, I've forgotten a lot of my Spanish. <laughs> So I've, I've forgotten so much of it, but it was still, you know, it was like, I'm sure it was a great experience. It was a great experience. I always, I always tell people it was like living down there, like the time period that I was down there is like the montage from office space. You know, when the guy's just like going around doing like, what the F ever, yeah. he's like, like, I don't care. It's like, damn, it feels good to be a gangster. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like that was the song I listened to when I walked around the streets of Guatemala. Like yeah. I was living in Antigua and I was like, that's just what I did. I was like, I just did whatever I wanted every single day. Good for you. I was like, I would do Most Spanish. Most don't get to experience that. Yeah. I would do like Spanish class in the morning and then like in the afternoon, I was just like, I don't know. Like I'll The go, world is mine. Yeah. I was like, I'll go read a book. I'll, hey, there's a local boxing gym. I'll learn how to box. Oh, yeah. there's a wrestling place next to oh, We'll do some wrestling. Oh, I, I want to go take another nap. I'll go take another nap. I was like, oh, I want to stuff my face full of papooses. I'll go do that. Like, Those are great. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I, I just did whatever I wanted pretty much every single day. It was, it was phenomenal. And it's like, you know, I've, I've got my severance package. Right. And so like, the whole time I was there, I spent like five grand and I spent over half of that, like in just education, like my Spanish classes. And then like the other good portion of it was like on my flights. So like, like going out money, I spent like maybe $1,500 in six months. Dude, that's crazy. <laughs> it was, it was phenomenal. So if anyone has five G's and you want to go live like a king, go to Guatemala. Yeah, as go you to, say. yeah, Guatemala. Why not GU, Guatemala? G-U-A in Spanish is wa. Okay. So it's actually guacamole, right? Not, not guacamole. It's guacamole. Ah, yeah. I learned something new today. That's the one Thank little you. nugget for everybody listening. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody te- like a white guy teaching you Spanish. <laughs> My uh, boss actually is a Spanish teacher and now he's the vice president of a drilling fluids company. So hey, there you go. You never know. You know? And so, yeah, I, I had a great time living down there. And so then when I got done, my biggest regret is I bought a, a round trip ticket. If I had a not, I would have stayed down there. No right? kidding. Yeah. And I'll plug this Antigua Spanish Academy, $5 an hour for one-on-one training with a, a, a Spanish teacher. That's nothing. Yeah. It's absolutely, it's, it's, it's like in my homestay family, it was $10 a day for my own room and three meals a day, except for Sunday. I had to fend for myself. Hmm. That's not so bad. 70 bucks a week. Right. So why'd you come back other than because I, you had because a round I, trip? I, I bought a round trip ticket when in the very beginning, oh, like, yeah. They had a really thought it through. I was like, dude, I could I could forego the three hundred or the hundred and seventy five dollars for the for the return flight and just stayed there. But then I was like, ah, I came back, came back, tried to start my own company, had no business 
trying to have my own business. Like, okay. What company was that? I tried to do, like, I wanted to be the first person to put Wits data or Wits ML data on a cell phone because hmm. that was like the big app craze. Okay. Everybody's doing like iPhone apps and stuff. Like I wanted to be the first to do that. Huh. Right. And I mean, so what happened? I just got, I got railroaded by a, a software engineer. Oh, uh-huh. you know, it was like, yeah, yeah, dude, uh, pay me like half up front and then, uh, you know, half on delivery date and, you know, be good to go. It was like, you know, we'll sit down, we'll have a couple of meetings. You tell me what you want. And he's like, yeah, I'll build, build that. And I was like, all right, cool. Yeah. And did not do enough vetting. Ended up just losing out all the money that I put into it. Just gone. No. Oh. And so then went through a couple of other little BS things trying to do. And then I got to the point where I was like, all right, I'm going to go back to the field. And so I called every single MWD and directional drilling company that I could find. Right. Like I applied for every single majors job worldwide. I like it it would be, I'd wake up at 8 a.m. I would, or like by 8 a.m. I was dressed and ready. I should say that. And at five, I would knock off. Like I made it my job to find a job. Nice. Good for you, man. And like I was seriously, and like once I had applied for all of the jobs, you know, and I would individually tailor my resume for every single one. I wouldn't just apply, click, apply, click, apply, click, which was a lot of people do today. And I think it's terrible. I was focused in on every single job. And I was like, okay, I would take 10 or 15 minutes to rewrite my resume, save it under a different name nice. or whatever. And like this resume goes for this job. Yeah. And it was it was also good because then when you get response back or something like that, you know exactly which, okay, I didn't get that one. That one of like the thousand I applied for, I didn't get that one. Mm-hmm. And so then once I ran out of like online things that I could apply for, then I was just like, screw it. I was like, I just started calling companies. I remember calling a bit company and the guy was like, I'll hire you right now because he's like, could you get, our bits on three rigs. And I was like, no, <laughs> it's like, I just had to be honest. I was like, no, I was hoping you would teach me something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, but I honestly don't know anything about bits. I still don't. So then, so I ended up calling like a local MWD company and it was owned by a guy that used to work at big blue and they were offering resistivity services. And so he was like, so you know how to use these tools? And I was like, I was like, I understand like the core concepts of it and stuff. And he was like, good. He's like, we'll hire you. And I was getting paid like $350 a day contract, mm-hmm. not knowing that everybody else was getting like $500 a day contract <laughs> steal. and, and getting like a dollar a mile or whatnot. I was getting like 28 cents a mile or something. But I thought I was like, man, I've got a better job. I was like, awesome. Man. And then I start finding out that everybody else like, at this time period is getting paid like three times (laughs) as much as me. So that job lasted only so long until like I found out exactly how much I was worth. And then being back in us land, I saw, I found out the big difference between having run all of these high dollar, you know, top end, you know, the, the jewelry tools and understanding all of those concepts and then coming to us land and where we're running, like just DNI and gamma and that's it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was like, dude, this is easy. I was like, this is nothing. I was like, I could do this in my sleep. No I was kidding. like, I don't see why people are struggling. I was like, I used to run six tools at a time, right? You know, I was like, this is nothing. Like, so, so why only? So, like, why is that? Why the difference? Like, why were you running six tools versus on land? Like, what's well, the I mean, difference? Like offshore. I mean, I mean, oh, they're, offshore, they're, they're paying that. all the high dollar stuff. You yeah, know? So yeah. You're running resistivity. You're running neutron density. You're running acoustic. You're running a sonic tool, you're running the rotary steerable tool, you've got your gamma in the hole, you've you've got, you know, a drilling mechanics tool down it down in the hole. You've got 
you know, PWD. So you've got like six or seven, eight, ten different curves that are coming in. Gotcha. Right. That you're responsible for watching for, as well as you know, making sure depth corrections are made. You don't just run off of the pace on. There was no pace on. Like mm -hmm. you had to do all of that depth correction stuff yourself. Gotcha. So you're running up to the rig floor every single stand as well as sending out emails and doing all of the other stuff. And then you get to US land and they're like, yeah, you just, after every stand, you just send out an email with the latest survey in the game. And I was like, this is it? I was like, I don't have to go to the break floor every stand? They're like, no, why would you do that? And I'm like, nothing. Yeah, no, <laughs> no reason, no, no, just no, curious. No, no, I was just hanging out with the driller, maybe take him to a coffee every once in a while. It's like, that used to be my responsibility. It was like every other stand, I had to take him a cup of coffee, you know? And so Dang. it was like, I mean, it was so easy. And so then, you know, I start to find out, it was like my education and the education I received from the, my previous employer made a huge difference in the fact that I was like, I know a lot more than a lot of the people I'm around. And so that helped accelerate my career. Of course. And then, you know, the next place I was at, I became the lead well planner after like somebody was like, you know how to well plan? I was like, I could do the trigonometry in my head, but I don't know how to use a well planning software. And they're like, you're a new well planner. I was like, okay i'll do it <laughs> it's done and then i became the mwd manager and then you know i ended up getting fired from that it was way too early for me to be managing an operation i look back on that and it was just like it was like i had forgotten all of the lessons i learned as a leader hmm. shouldn't have been a leader at that point i mean like i said a lot of great lessons learned then went to another company where i didn't really fit in with the, the culture found out my boss was like taking money under the table had all of the evidence presented it or at least vocalized it yeah. with a lot of F-bombs in there. And they were like, you know, somebody's going to call me a thief. We don't want you working for us. And I was like, all right, bye. And the owner mm. stopped me. He was like, he was like, can you show me? I was like, no, you already fired me. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> so I left. They found out like two years later and ended up letting the guy go. But it took him two more years what I already knew. No kidding. Yeah. It's, I'll say this. For anybody that's listening, there are corrupt people in our industry. Of course. And if industry. anybody ever asks you, You've got to be willing to have to get a divorce to be able to work for the company you're at. Leave that company immediately. No kidding. Yeah, that's what, what he flat out asked me. He's like, "You got to be willing to get a divorce for this." And I was, he was like, "I'm divorced. That guy's divorced. That guy's divorced. And that guy's divorced." And I was like, "Uh, yeah, that's not. I should have quit like right then and there." But I yeah, was just red like, flags. Yeah, and it was just like, and then you know, being an entrepreneur now, like. I do not want to slave away to make somebody else rich. Mm -hmm. And that's everybody that worked at that organization did that for that individual. That, mm -hmm. that guy ended up walking away with a lot of money and he really didn't share with any of the people that he told he was going to share with. Right. Right. So another tidbit for anybody that's listening, if somebody tells you that they're going to offer you equity, you get it in writing before you accept the job. Yep. A lot of people, there's no, no such thing as handshake deals anymore. No. It's like it, you need everything on paper. If somebody's going to promise you that, you get it. Yeah. You get it in writing. Because if not, it is 100% fictitious. Of course. Yeah. And you can't take that to the court of law and say, yeah, they told me. And he'll just, judge will just laugh at you. <laughs> I have seen it happen to so many people that are like, man, they said they were going to give me like 3% or they were going to give me like 1%. And then when they sold, they were like, yeah, we really didn't get as much as we wanted. So I'm sorry. You know, I really appreciate everything you've done for me. Like, you have to get that stuff in writing. No, you like, have to get right. it in writing. And if you're not willing to like take that gumption of being able to ask for it, then you don't deserve it. Sure. 
Yeah. But then if and you if they can, don't want to put it in writing, then you need to get the hell out of there too. <laughs> and and that's the thing. You, you you need to know if they're not willing to put it in writing, then they're not serious about it. Of course. Right. Then they're selling you on something that's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, I've had friends recently go through this, that they were promised the world by somebody and they didn't get it when the time came. Yeah. It's easy to get caught up in the hype. And a lot of people who run companies are good at selling the company and the vision and the goal. And, but their ulterior motives are, you know, for someone who's eager and, and kind of have the, the initial, you know, like the puppy love stage, it's like, Oh yeah, I'm at this company and they're growing and I might get equity and you know, eventually I'm going to get it in writing. Yeah. It, it never happened. Yeah. Never, never expect to get equity in a company. If you don't have it in writing, whether you've been promised it or not, don't expect to participate in an exit if, like I said, if it's not in writing. Mm-hmm. So even if they're like, hey, like, you know, they've given you everything they've promised, right? But then in the back of your mind, like, man, I'm going to keep working hard. And then, like, when the time comes, like, yeah, I'm, I'm like, if they get sold or they go public, I'm going to make you out big. No, you're not. <laughs> Do yeah. not, t- don't, like, I used to tell myself those fantasies of, like, like if I keep working really hard for this guy, they're going to see that the work that I put in. And they're going to see that. Is that possible? Yes, it is. I'm not going to say that it's 100% not, but protect yourself and don't give yourself those fantasy stories yeah no that's a great point get it in writing make sure you know exactly what you're doing and that if they truly are invested in you then you're getting it if not don't fool yourself into thinking that somebody else is going to give away their equity to you Mm -hmm. just just for the sake of like you being a great employee right that doesn't you you may get the day off for being a great employee but you're not going to get a percentage point (laughs) in a company it just doesn't work that way and that's that's true man i lived through those 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 things myself and these were lessons that i learned is that i kept thinking it was like you know i'm having these conversations with somebody and i'm like where do you see this company 10 years from now do you still want to be the owner do you still want to be doing the day-to-day or would you rather have somebody be able to step in as the ceo and he's like of course i want to be able to step away and i'm like please teach me everything groom you to be that person and Mm -hmm. then you get further down the road things get complicated the the company pivots, something else changes. And then all of a sudden you're like, I've got hopes and dreams that I get included. Right. Because this thing's going to be huge and it does not happen. Right. It just does not happen that way. Hmm. So no, that's just, good advice, just I mean, I mean, that's one of those things that like until you've taken that entrepreneurial jump and you've, you've really laid it all out there, it's really hard to understand the other side of the fence Yeah, of like, you know, what it means to take your hard earned money or like, everything in your life and risk it all mm-hmm. so yeah no appreciate i mean hopefully all the listeners out there are, are taking notes because there's some serious nuggets taken away from this and we're coming up close to an hour so I oh man yeah which is totally fine but i, I don't want to run out of time and i really want to hear about so you've got some neat stuff going on and you talk yeah. about being an entrepreneur so you've got your experience you know in the directional world working for other people but now you're you're grinding away doing what you love You've got Gibson Report, and then you got the Vitor Locksmith. So why don't you go ahead and describe what each of them are, and and you know talk about Vitor Locksmith because that's something that not I mean you're the only one doing that. You know yeah. with the videos and the interviews. I mean we're doing an interview style podcast here at OGGN, but you're kind of taking it to the next level. So why don't you give you know the listeners a little bit of a an overview as to you know what it is and and why it's important for folks to tune in and and keep you know watching what you're doing. So Vitor Locksmith is essentially a right now it's like a marketing tool for me and what it was born out of was just the simple fact that i wanted to be able to talk to other people in the industry that i found interesting and and wanted to have interviews with them and be able to help put their story out there Mm -hmm. right and 
and and give some other people this the stage and the opportunity to be able to talk. And so in the beginning, it was like, you know, some of the guys out there know this is like, I wanted to do a podcast, but it was like, no, I wanted, I wanted to be video so that people can see their faces. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, man, I like, if I do video, then there's so much complexity to it. And then it was like, man, I'd rather just do it live because, you know, just like, that's what I like to do. Yeah. And so when we were thinking about doing this and I was sitting down with my mom and talking about it and she's a 30 year videographer, you know, worked in the film business, you know, she's won cable aces, been nominated for an Emmy, won numerous tellies and wow. hometown awards and stuff. And so like, I've been in television video since I was a little kid. There's actually a post on LinkedIn. It's like a picture of me when I was like eight or something like hosting my first show. Nice. Yeah. It's me and my brother on, that are on there. And and so we, we were talking about it that night and I was like, yeah, I wish I could just go live on LinkedIn. And so we look it up online and it was like the day before they'd done the press release that said LinkedIn is now going to have uh, you know, live streaming on the platform. And I was like, Oh my God, I was like, I'm going to go live right now. And you know, of course I couldn't. Yeah. So what it is, is you have an application process, you put in an application and then they, they select people. So I was in the first batch of 50 people, right? So there's initial batch of like five, then 25, and then the next 25. So the first 50 people that were selected, at least this is what I've been told, not directly from LinkedIn, but from people who are knowledgeable of the situation. Yeah. And there's, you know, roughly 500 million users on LinkedIn. So I was one of the first 50. Hmm. And the day that I moved out of my house from the day job of Gibson Reports into my office, it was like when I found out and it was like, we got to go live Friday. Yeah. I was like, we got to do this. I was like, it now's the time. And so my mom being the the video professional expert and she does a lot of live video stuff in the the motorcycle industry as well as I do some some side stuff there as well. We were like, all right, let's do this. Let's go live. So we go live that first Friday and it's just like me talking about stuff. And, you know, since then we've been through tons of learning experiences and and doing stuff and we've built out the studio. So now kind of like the whole principle of the show is I want to be able to bring in people that are interesting, Mm -hmm. right? I don't want to interview a product. I want to interview a person. Of course. Right. So we've had some people reach out to me like, Hey, we just came out with this new cool thing. We'd love to come on and talk about it. And I'm like, I appreciate that, but no, this is not no a sales things. platform for you. Exactly. <laughs> this, like, I want to keep it as far away from being an infomercial as possible. Yeah. I really just want to be able to give people who have either made a huge impact to the industry, the, the opportunity to be able to get on their platform and be able to talk about it. Yeah. Right. And that's not really a sales pitch. If like, you know, somebody's a professor, right. Or just a, you know, has written 90 technical papers like George King. You know, we get these guys to be able to come in and and share their knowledge. I've had two best-selling authors, Keenan, who wrote Gap Selling, and then Andrew Davis, who wrote Brandscaping. Yeah. Two phenomenal guys. Great interviews. We've had numerous other people. We've had 25 episodes of, even had Ben Amaba, who's the chief technology officer at IBM. Yeah, that's huge, man. I remember you telling me that at the uh, collective dinner, Digital yeah. Wildcat. Yeah, that dinner. was that day. I was so yeah. exhausted. That's cool, man. We've had David Reed. Chief Marketing Officer at Innovi, Robert Trainer, CEO at Gyrodata. Cool. Terry Frith, who's the president and owner at Gordon Technologies, the fastest growing MWD company in the world. They're doing a phenomenal job. And we just want to be able to give some of the people that, you know, like I said, that I find interesting and that I want to be able to give them that opportunity to be able to, one, put their message out there and to be able to interact live with the audience so yeah. that the audience can ask questions. Also, Fred Dupriest, oh, yeah. former chief drilling engineer at ExxonMobil. Yeah. I can't believe I forget to throw his name in there. His episode is probably one of the best. Him and George King are like my 
probably my two favorite because they're so educational within our industry. Right. So how do people like listening now, if they haven't been able to tune in, do you have like a website you can go to to rewatch these all or is it so, just live or how does that work? So I'm not sure when this is going to air, but middle to end of September, probably. So next week or sometime, yeah, probably next week, I'm going to be putting a, I'm going to write an article on LinkedIn that's going to have links to all of the, the previous oh, cool. episodes. We're also taking all of the episodes and then recording them, putting them onto YouTube. And then we're also going to cut out the audio and put them into podcast format here pretty soon. So wow. there'll be a podcast, a YouTube, and all of the LinkedIn content. So the LinkedIn stuff, you'll still be able to see all the comments that are coming in. YouTube, you'll just see just the the video and what, what we talk about. Yeah. And then obviously on the, the podcast portion, it'll, it'll just be that. So cool. we're trying to make sure that we cover all of our bases so it's easy for people to be able to find the content because mm-hmm. it's hard to find old content on LinkedIn. Yeah. You either see it now or you never see it. Right. It's just it's it's one of the flaws of the system. Right. And so that's kind of what we're doing. If you want to to see the show, either connect with me on LinkedIn or mm-hmm. follow the hashtag Vidor Locksmith. Mm-hmm. Those are two of the best ways to be able to to see it. As of right now, when we go live, if you're connected with me or following me, you should get a notification that we go live. We do a show every Friday at 10 a.m. or at least most Fridays at 10 a.m. Sometimes I'm doing like a Thursday episode or something yep. like the uh, SP Energy Dot. We broadcasted live for that all day. So I didn't do a show on Friday. Today we did a show, but it failed miserably. So we just ended up deleting it. So that's normally when the show is. We're trying to think of like, you know, oil and gas, nobody's working on Fridays, or at least if they are, they work half days and they're not doing anything. So we're like, tune in. I was like, 10 a.m. is probably the best time Mm -hmm. because every other day of the week, I'm like, people are in meetings, people are in meetings, people are in meetings, people are in meetings, people are in meetings. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, this might be the one time that people can actually tune in live. Right. Yeah, no, that's smart, man. So we'll we'll make sure we put your LinkedIn link in the show notes. We'll put Gibson Reports link in the show notes as well. Kind of an interesting question. And and I'm a drilling guy, so I I know probably. But where does the term V-Door locksmith come from? Oh, man, you can't be asking me that right now. Are you serious? (laughs) Well, I mean, I know what... There's a, you know, when you go on a rig and then you say, go get the keys to the Vito. Yeah, okay. Okay. I was making uh, sure you knew that. Oh, I know. Yeah, okay. buddy. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard them all and I've done it to everybody that ever worked on a rig with me. So, but for the li- listeners out there, or should we just keep it a secret? I like to keep it a secret. Okay. Because it, it also allows me to be able to know. It's like somebody comes up and they're like, what is the V door locks. I don't, oh, okay. I don't, and I'm like, Oh, okay. You yeah. Know. When I saw I that, like, I was like, yeah, he's a drilling guy. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it, it just, it lets me know where you stand with your career. I like, like it. I've had drilling engineers ask me that. And I'm like, really, dude? Oh, really? Like, yeah. I was like, okay. I was like, that hurts my heart just a little bit. Yeah. It's like, you, you know your stuff, but obviously you need to go spend some more time at the rig. Yeah, yeah. So, so for anybody who doesn't know, Go spend some time at the rig or talk to somebody who's been at the rig. If you ask me in person, I'll tell you. Right. But the best way to learn is actually being at the rig. I wonder if Urban Dictionary has Vidor in there. I mean, they might, but then again, I mean, like if you look it up, it just says it, but it doesn't say like the concept behind it. Of course. Yeah. No. Well, uh, yeah. Everyone out there, like you said, go to a rig and figure it out. I'm sure you'll get, you'll get some chuckles out of it, but go ask ask the company man. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then then ask the mud guy. Yeah. And then ask the directional driller. Everyone will certainly be willing to help out. <laughs> anyway, so a couple questions I'd like to, to yeah. close with. Do you have any daily routine?
routines or habits that keep you focused and motivated to just keep grinding day in and day out and and not like you know what what motivates you or whatever but do you have any like quirky like i get up and you know i brush my teeth then have coffee then i meditate and do gratitude you know gratifying journals or like you know because that seems to be a common one nowadays within like you know the world of you know big ceos and stuff like that but like do you have anything quirky or interesting that you do daily that kind of keeps you like on on track so much of my life has changed since i've become an entrepreneur which we hardly even talked about right Um, we have to do a round two because obviously (laughs) we can keep going I, i would love to like i said so much of my life has changed since becoming an entrepreneur like nothing is constant Mm-hmm. And my, this is the thing that my girlfriend's always like, you, you got to get on a schedule. You got to get on a schedule. And it's like, if somebody calls me and they've got a meeting, like I'm leaving, I'm going to the meeting. Like I can't afford to not, you know, meet with people or, or do what I need to do to be able to grow the company. So I think the only thing that's consistent right now in my life is when my kids wake up in the morning, we have a, like a clock in the room that lights yeah. up a certain color. That means they're allowed to come out of the room. Yeah. Highly recommend them for anybody. I like uh, that. It's, it's keeps them in the room for like yeah. an extra 10 minutes, you okay. know, or it's like, can't come out of your room yet. Is the clock turned green? No. Okay. Go back to your room. Yeah. Every morning. Like that's my alarm clock because they knit like they, they are a Timex. Yeah. And so, Every morning they they do that and then they run in my room and come jump in bed with me and hey. like we lay there and we talk for like five to ten minutes because they are definitely not going back to sleep even though they're snuggling up with me yeah you know or one of them will want to fall asleep then the other one would be wide awake yeah and I'm like oh yeah let's let's fall back asleep that's that's cool yeah and the other one's like waffles dad i want waffles is there i want waffles now waffles 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 dad 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 dad. waffles waffles oh man i know exactly and and so like that's really been like my only routine the other routines i have are just bad habits of just like forgetting stuff at the house i'll leave and then i'll get to the office and be like oh i forgot that again okay then going back or or checking my phone first thing in the morning when I shouldn't, I should wait till I get to the office when I can reply to the emails instead of checking them like right there. I'm like, Oh, I should reply to that. And then I get back to the office and I was like, I don't have any emails. What should I do today? Mm, and then yeah. halfway through the day, I was like, Oh, there's that email I already checked yeah. and it's not flagged anymore. I'm like, I yeah. need to. <laughs> so no, that, I mean, I like that though. I mean, and having that, that morning that even like you said, five, 10 minutes with your kids, that's special, man. And not very, and nowadays, you know, having that moment as a dad with your kids, that's extremely valuable. And, and, it, and it may just, you know, every day you go through it, you go through it and you're, you're mindlessly kind of doing it. But I think for your kids, especially having that time with dad, getting up, going and running and seeing dad, that's super special. And, it, and it's a good thing. And it, and it you know, if, if it probably sets you up for the day, you know, up subconsciously, not even realizing it, but no, I mean, that's a, that's a great answer. I think that's cool that you're able to, to experience that with your kiddos, man. That's, that's sweet. Yeah. I've got, I've got like, so we use a couple of different like online programs to be able to like, you know, keep track of some of the stuff that we do. And one of them that's always at the top of my list. That's the number one priority. It says work your ass off motherfucker because you're doing this for your kids. Yeah. Right. And yeah. when I started the company, I was like, there were so many things going wrong in my life at that point. You know, mm-hmm. it was like failure was like literally was not an option. Like yeah. I couldn't fail. Like I had to make it work. Yeah. And that was just, and so that, that's what, you know, like, so for them, you know, a lot of people say, Oh, I did this for my kids. I did this for my kids. But like, there was like a point in time, like if I didn't do it, cause I was going through a divorce, like if I didn't do it, I was going to lose my kids. Yeah. Like yeah. if I didn't make it work. And so that's where wow. I was just like, I was like, I literally like have to do this. And so like, 
And, you, you know, there's that whole thing about, like, you know, people like, you know, you work harder as an entrepreneur. You don't work harder as an entrepreneur, right? You don't. You just enjoy your work. Mm. And it's hard to stop working. Right. Because you enjoy it so much. Yeah. So, like, for me, it's just, like, I, I, I don't, like, I, I've started to get to where I enjoy weekends again. But I used to not enjoy Saturdays and Sundays because I couldn't make calls. Yeah. <laughs> right. I used to be like, oh my God, when are people going to get back in the office? When are people going to get back in the office? And I was like, I just want to blaze the phone lines, you know, and get yeah. back to like getting more clients. And so, you know, now I'm like, okay, I can start to enjoy the weekends a little bit. We've, we've had a little bit of success, you know? And so, you know, as far as the things that I do, like now it's just, you know, kids with me in the morning, make them breakfast, take them to school and then pick them up in, in the afternoons. And like, they Dude, just run amazing. into my arms and it's like, all right, we had a good day. Now it's like, okay, what am I going to do to entertain them today? Yeah. Because they're tired of the park down the street. I was like, we got to go do something else. And so, yeah. You know, <laughs> my daughter asked me that every day. She's like, are we going to go somewhere special today? I was like, no, we're going to go to the house and have a snack. Oh, I want to go somewhere special. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> like, what am I going to say? Yeah. Oh, man, that's funny. I know kids, it doesn't matter how much stuff they have, they somehow find a way to either get bored or want to do something different or, or better. And it's just like, I grew up playing with sticks and a, and a bike that I had that was far too small for me for years. It's like, appreciate what you have because you have way more than I did. You know what I mean? It, it's one of those things you just got to get creative. Like we took oh, one yeah. of those, we had a water heater go out at my rent house or whatever. And so we took that box and then we put like Christmas lights in the top of it. No way. Yeah. And they, <laughs> they like that box, like cardboard lived a long time in the house until it finally fell apart. But no, it was kidding. like, I mean, just like the little Pinterest ideas and stuff is oh, like, that's dude. what keeps them entertained. It's like, I stay away from it, buying them stuff on Amazon. I'm just like, what around the house is, I was like, oh, there's some pans and there's some wooden spoons. I was like, y'all just make all the racket you want. Right. Yeah. You know, Play it'll, some it'll, sounds. It'll, it'll, it'll last for 30 minutes. And then it's like, all right, let's go outside and spray dead with the water hose. Yeah. All right. Now let's go back inside. Let's, let's build a tree house that we play in once. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That sounds familiar. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, that's just the thing. I got to get creative with them. So nice. One last question. Is yeah. there anything that not many people know about? You got any good hidden secrets or any quirks or anything kind of unique to you that, you know, because you seem to be like a, a pretty open book, but is there anything unique that you haven't told anyone in a long time? So there's uh, there's two things about me that are pretty unique and like there's one hobby that, that I have. So like one of my hobbies is I don't get to do it now because, you know, schedule is just so difficult. I was a runner up state or state runner up for Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Okay. So I, I, I know, you know, Colin or whatever, oh, yeah. he's always posting about doing his Jiu Jitsu stuff. And I was yeah. like, oh man, I do that too. But it's like, I haven't been doing it in a long time, so I don't really talk about it too much. Okay. My other hobby is doing taking my motorcycle to the track days. Nice. So going out and racing out at the F1 track in Austin. Cool. Absolutely love that. I don't ride my bike on the street anymore just because it's just, just too much to risk, too dangerous. But it's yeah. like you get out there on the track and you can just be needy or elbow deep in the throttle and it's just a ton of fun. They're actually doing it this weekend, but like I'm still having to like keep myself back from my hobbies. I gotta concentrate on the business first. Yeah. But the really unique thing is I used to be a break dancer back in college and no I had way. cornrows a couple of times. What? <laughs> yeah. Oh dude, you I have to post some stuff on I, LinkedIn I about back in the day, but <laughs> <laughs> so like I've got a picture of me like with like cornrows or whatever, like like after no I got way. my hair braided and stuff. So like that's just one of those things that like most people will see me don't don't even think twice about it. I would never guess. Like, like, 
I've done it. I, did, I think I did it when I was living in, in Perth. It was just like we're at like the Christmas party or whatever. Yeah, and I was right. Just like, they're playing yeah. a song and I'm like, I like this song. And I was like, this song did you reminds me of something. And, I was like, and everyone around you like and, started watching. And it was just like, there was just some open space. It was like, it wasn't even a circle. It was just some open space. And I was like, I'm going to go bust out some windmills. Oh, so I was just dude, like, that's I start so break badass. dancing and then yeah. just like bust out some windmills. <laughs> and yeah. I actually met a guy named Rox Wright, who's probably one of the, like, the greatest b-boys of all time or whatever i okay. met him on a business trip in tumen russia what? like i was sitting down in the lobby just like playing him on my phone and i was like i look up and i went that dude looks really familiar and i was like and then another guy walks up and i was like that's b-boy Tosque. that's rocks right oh my god i was such a fanboy i was like oh my god i was like can i get a picture with you and i end up hanging out with him all day no way yeah dude that's I, huge and, and he follows we follow each other on like instagram and stuff and like like he's got like i don't know a gazillion followers or whatnot but like i'll post something stupid about the kids or whatever and he'd be like oh that's awesome yeah yeah just, what that's wild yeah man. so i i used to totally be into david gibson the breakdancing b-boy yeah what up to totally be into it. it was like my favorite thing to do i used to dude, go no to breakdancing competitions on the weekends and stuff and what yeah that you need was... to post something on like a throwback thursday with you and your cornrows dude that is <laughs> so dope <laughs> man i have i've thought about it and i'm just like <sighs> yeah because that's who you are man that's what like all that stuff no that's like, who i used to be well, no, i could they, not do that, they, <laughs> that, that, that that's what makes you who you are man everything you went through in life is like cumulatively happened to like create you in this meat suit right now yeah. so so i was in i was in the club in college called b-boy 101 and so like we would host like break dancing what? tournaments we would have like break dance like there was a gymnastics room at the college or whatever and it's so like we'd go in there and like practice and you know <laughs> that's so awesome. whether we're doing head spins or pop locking and stuff like that it was just Dude, coming from Canada, like I don't know anybody who is a break dancer, bro. And if I could see you break dance right now, like that would make my day. <laughs> it was one of those things that, like, I was working at AutoZone in high school, and the buddy of mine that I was working with, you know, we're, we're having to clean up the the store and stuff. And then all of a sudden, he's like, "Oh man, this, this song's the jam!" And I was like, "Yeah, it's pretty cool." And he's like, "Watch this!" And he just starts like break dancing no and stuff. Way. And I was like, "What are you doing?" And then all of a sudden, he starts like doing windmills. And I was like, "Dude, that's badass!" I was like, "I've always wanted to know how to do that." And then he starts like spinning on his head, and I was like, "No." I didn't think that was real. Oh my God. I was like, Oh dude, we got to hang out. And so, yeah. then, you know, he starts teaching me and, and then, you know, I go off to college and like, you know, they've got the fair where everybody's got their booth setups and stuff. And then like, yeah. there's the B-Boy 101 club. And I was like, can I join y'all's club? And they're like, yeah, <laughs> I want to be in the club. Oh, so so that, there's your like crazy unknown fact. There's, yes. I, there's very few people in the industry that know that about me. And I'm so very, excited very, very, very that you few. were able to share that on this podcast. I'm pumped. I'm going to keep, every time I see you, I'm going to bug you like, bust a move. <laughs> I, I, I will not bust a move. I will hurt myself. Yeah. That's, hey, that's all that will happen now. Hopefully one day you can surprise me. So, uh, no, that's great, man. I appreciate you sharing well, that. Start breakdancing at one of the energy tech night yeah, dude. or something with the, bring it back. The, <laughs> call it a Jacob. They're up there talking or something. And I'll just be like, I'm just going to break dance. Check right this out. And then, and you're gonna like go for it that'd be so awesome or, or at a real stiff spe event or yeah. something. <laughs> you as a keynote speaker be like but first i have something to show you <laughs> boom yeah <laughs> awesome well look i just want to take a few minutes we're going to tell everyone about the upcoming events 
Hey guys, this is Alex, and here are the events on deck for September 2019. We are bringing Oil & Gas Tech Podcast to the Internet of Things Conference in Houston, Texas on September 16th through 17th. Joining us will be CEO Marty Sprintson of Vantique. You can register online at iotandoilandgas.com. The Midstream Networking Golf Tournament will be held on September 6, 2019 in Cypress, Texas, and the dress, of course, is golf attire. The NOV Sporting Clays Tournament will be on September 20th, 2019 in Katy, Texas. Dress is casual. The Blockchain and Oil and Gas Conference is in Houston, Texas on September 18th through 19th, and the dress is business casual. That's all for September. Hope you guys have a great month, and thanks for tuning in. Awesome. Thanks. I also want to mention the OKC Fin Feather and Fur. It's relatively new for the area. So go on the AADE Oklahoma website and uh, show them some love by signing up or hit up Courtney Strang with Inwell for more details. If anyone out there in Houston area is interested in playing old field hockey, come join the Hack and Whack crew for some old timer hockey. We do it every two weeks at Memorial City Mall Ice Rink. Hit me up on LinkedIn for more details. If you're looking to get in shape for back to school or even, you know, this fall, maybe you got a trip coming up to Mexico, visit KTX Fit in Katy, Texas and get a free trial by telling one of the coaches that I sent you. Thanks again for listening to Oil and Gas Onshore. If you're looking for more info, hit up oilandgasonshore.com. David, thanks again for joining me today. We had a blast. I'm actually, I really would like to do a round two and focus it on like, like LinkedIn content and like that kind of world and, and how it's sort of you know, changing the way we market ourselves in oil and gas. So I think that's a great topic, especially for the younger listeners who are really capitalizing on it or trying to. But Definitely. I think something like that would be great. So we'll have to do a round two and then other topics that we've talked about. So uh, anyways, yeah, appreciate it. We'll put the link in the show notes and send me anything that I can put in there because I know we talked about a lot of things today. And other than that, that's a wrap. So always remember when the density's up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Tune in next week for another captivating episode of Tendeka's Oil & Gas Onshore Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasglobalnetwork.com. 